Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And today we have a very special guest with us, author Robert Hutchinson, who has just released the book, What Really Happened? The Death of Hitler. And everyone who has any interest at all in World War II history has heard the rumor that maybe Hitler didn't die in that bunker. And this book is an extremely fascinating book that really sheds a light on what did happen in that German bunker all those years ago and the fact that Hitler may very well have survived. According to official accounts and numerous eyewitnesses, the dictator of the Third Reich shot himself. Loyal Nazis burned his body, and the bones were removed by the Russians. Yet, after World War II, 50% of Americans polled did not believe the captured Nazis who said Adolf Hitler and Eva Braun had committed suicide in their Berlin bunker. They thought the Fuhrer had faked his death and escaped justice. Joseph Stalin himself told Allied leaders that Soviet forces never discovered Hitler's body and that he believed the Nazi leader had gotten away. There were numerous reports of top Nazi officials successfully fleeing to South America. Incredible as it sounds, the mystery surrounding Hitler's final days only deepened in 2009 when a U.S. forensic team announced that a piece of the skull held in Soviet archives was not actually Hitler's. And today we have a very special guest with us, Robert Hutchinson, who has just released his book, What Really Happened? The Death of Hitler. Robert, welcome to our show today. It's great to have you aboard. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. So what really happened there? Why did the Western Allies never find Hitler's body, which I think a lot of our listeners know, that body was never found? Yeah, you know, when they did a, a poll at the end of World War II, they found that fully 50% of Americans doubted the official story of what happened to Hitler and thought that he, he likely escaped probably to someplace like Latin, Latin America, Argentina, or something like that. And today, a lot of people think that's just, a cra- that's just crazy. That's like space aliens and, and things like that. But there's actually a lot of really good reasons why this story has endured to this day and why we only discovered in 2018 definitive forensic proof about what really happened. It took that long. And part of the reason why is uh, people don't realize that the Western allies, the United States and Great Britain and so on, did not actually enter Berlin for two full months after the end of the war. The, the, uh, the allies had allowed the Soviet Union to have the honor, if you will, of conquering Berlin. And uh, so when the allies finally entered Berlin in July 1945, the question on everybody's mind was, where was Hitler? The only evidence they had at that point that Hitler had died was the Germans themselves. The German radio broadcast said that he had died. Uh, some of the survivors of the bunker claimed a, a certain story that he committed suicide and they burned his body, but nobody had a body. And when they asked the Soviets about it, they said they hadn't a body either. So it wasn't entirely crazy to think that Hitler might have escaped, especially because there were reports, uh, turned out to be credible reports, the true accurate reports, that, so, that uh, Nazi submarines had been traveling the Atlantic and had made it as far as Argentina. And there were lots of reports in the media of sightings of Adolf Hitler in various locations around the world. And those media reports, because they never did find a body, and uh, we only pieced what happened together, what actually happened over the decades, when we finally figured out that the Soviets were 
were feeding us disinformation and that they knew a lot more about the story than they let on. But it took 30 to 40 years before we even got a clue about what actually happened. And it was only proven, as I said, in 2008. Yeah, they just released a CIA uh, intelligence report, didn't they, from 2017. Yeah, I mean, well, basically what happened was that the Russians told us that they didn't find a body. Uh, that was a lie. They had actually disinterred some remains, some, and they hid them for 25 years in a secret location in East Germany. And eventually, the, those remains were disinterred in the 1970 and re and then cast into a river because the, the Soviets were worried they were giving back East Germany to the Germans, and they were afraid that if the secret ever gave, came out where they had hidden Hitler's remains, it would become a cult center, much the way Lenin, Lenin was a cult center. And they didn't want that. So they decided to once and for all do away with Hitler's remains, or what they said were Hitler's remains. And they kept a piece of a skull, which they said was part of Hitler's skull, and a piece of a jawbone. And it, in 2009, they finally allowed a U.S. forensic team to examine the piece of the skull. And the forensic expert said, it isn't Hitler's. It's the, it comes from the body of a woman under age 40. And this led to banner headlines around the world. The official story might not be true after all. Hitler may not have even died in the bunker. And that fed even more conspiracy stories and theories. And there was a slew of books, the most famous of which was Grey Wolf, that said that Hitler did not die in the bunker, as the Allies had said, but had escaped and lived the rest of his life in a mountain uh, chalet uh, in Argentina. Um, and then it wasn't until, and then in 2014, Obama signed an executive order allowing the release of formerly top secret documents in the FBI files. And that showed that contrary to what they had said, the FBI actually investigated reports of Hitler's escape in for decades after the war. So it appeared that the FBI at least took them seriously. And that fed even more conspiracy theories until finally in 2015, the History Channel launched a full-blown reality TV series um, called Hunting Hitler that actually spent three years trying to prove that Hitler might have escaped. And it was only uh, wound down in 2018. So, amazing. so this is a story that has had legs. And yes, it's just, it's just kind of amazing. Let's back the truck up and start with the original story about Hitler's death the story that's been out there for for so many years. Let's start with that, and we get our history straight, and then we can kind of work up from there. Everybody now knows it. I mean, the, uh, the 2004 German downfall, which was based on uh, Hitler's secretary, Trautel Junge's memoir uh, of her time in the, in the bunker, uh, basically tells it very well. But what people don't realize is that account was pieced together over decades uh, as the various survivors of the bunker came forward. Uh, they were thoroughly interrogated by Western intelligence agencies. Uh, at least half of them were dragged off to the Soviet Union and held in prisoner of war camps and tortured, uh, some for five to 10 years, over and over again to, to out of them of what happened. 
And uh, they stuck to their stories uh, for literally 50, 60, 70 years. The last survivor of the bunker, Rokas Mish, uh, died only a few years ago, and he finally published his memoir of Rokas Mish, who's who phone operator in the bunker and an SS bodyguard. He only published his uh, account of what happened uh, in the 2010s. Uh, in other words, and he was uh, finally died at age 93. Uh, so these people stuck to their stories about what actually happened. There were minor disagreements between the survivors of the bunker about minor details, but their overall account was fairly uh, consistent over the decades. And that was that Adolf Hitler uh, married his longtime mistress, Eva Braun, uh, on April 30th. And then uh, they retired to Hitler's inner quarters where Hitler, where they both committed suicide. Hitler by gunshot to his temple uh, and Eva Braun by swallowing a cyanide uh, capsule. And then the aides took the bodies upstairs to the uh, garden outside of the emergency exit of the Fuhrer bunker, uh, very close to the exit, maybe six feet away. They put the bodies in a trench from uh, artillery fire, poured uh, dozens of gallons of gasoline uh, on top of the bodies and let them on fire. And they had to dodge. They were, they were being constantly shelled as they were doing this. So they had to keep going back into the into the safety of the Fuhrer bunker and come back out. And they uh, they let the bodies burn for the rest of that evening, kept pouring gasoline on them. And then eventually the bodies, what was left, was moved to another crater about uh, 10 or 15 feet away and covered with dirt. And part of that is important because uh, the kind of the chain of events, how the Soviets found the remains, it's a little bit important. There were eyewitnesses to all of this. There were guards who saw all this take place, and they lived as well and told their stories. So there's a tremendous amount of eyewitness testimony that corroborates that basic account. Do you think that part of the story is true up to that point? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's been, it's uh, e virtually every every survivor of the uh, under the gasoline-drenched bodies, there were little minor disagreements about that. But in general, they tell the same story. So that is what the official story was. When the uh, Western Allies started investigating this, they had to get to the bottom of what really happened because there were all these stories that Hitler escaped. Um, and they appointed a Oxford historian to investigate this. He worked for military intelligence, British intelligence. And he prepared a report that was the definitive account of what happened uh, at that point is still basically the same account, but he did not know what actually happened to the body. He ends his account, uh, Hugh Trevor Roper, with, uh, with the bodies being uh, buried, and that was the last that he or any el anyone else knew uh, of what happened to Hitler's remains was with that. Uh, so up to that point, the story was fairly clear. If you believe the survivors of the bunker, that's what happened. Uh, where it gets interesting is what happened after when the Soviets got involved. There were a lot of very interesting sidebars uh, in your book, which makes it which makes it such good reading. Some that I came back to. First, I wanted to point out. I thought it was. I got a kind of a laugh when I read about Schmirsch. I thought Schmirsch was a James Bond uh, code name 
for maybe one of Dr. No's organizations. But yeah, uh, it was an acronym. Yeah, it was an acronym for the Russian uh, Secret Service, basically. Yeah. And that, Counterintelligence Service. And, that was and, interesting. Uh, yeah. They, what, was, what was really amazing is the, you couldn't make this stuff up. It was just farce. When the final people who survived were waiting for the Russians to arrive, you can just imagine all of Berlin is under attack. And they're, they're, they know that the Russians are coming in and they're imagining, you know, will they use flame throwers or will they just toss hand grenades down the stairways and blow them all to bits? And they're, they're, the, the chief engineer, a man named Heschel and, uh, and Mish, were the last two in the bunker when all the other people had fled and tried to escape. They'd made their breakouts. They were the last two. And so they were expecting some uh, combat unit to come down and, and rain death upon them. And when the Russians actually showed up, it was 10 women, female officers, uh, intelligence officers. And what they wanted to know was where was even a bronze clothes. And they spent the next two hours pillaging and plundering Eva Blonde's bronze lingerie until a couple of male officers showed up with guns, a lot more serious folks. And they went out squealing past the last two Nazis left or the last Nazi left. Uh, literally trailing Ava Braun's brassiers in their hands because they were afraid that the, their superior officers were going to take them from them. And that was pretty much the atmosphere of the bunker at the, the last few days. That The Russians made no attempts to secure a crime scene, like we might say. Uh, two months later, an American reporter was able to bribe his way into the bunker by offering the guard a pack of American cigarettes, went down, and he found Hitler's diary date book with his appointments just lying around uh, there was no attempt at a scientific crime scene investigation whatsoever uh, it was war and the war was winding down and people were more interested in just celebrating and uh, they weren't thinking of preserving evidence for history and uh, that was one reason why later Stalin himself was so dissatisfied by the report of the initial investigators that a year and a half later, he sent another team back to the bunker to reconstruct kind of what happened. And they redug up the crater where Hitler's remains were, and they found pieces of a skull, which they wrongly thought was Hitler's. And they believed for 70 years that they were Hitler's. And they told the world that it was Hitler's, and it turned out not to have been Hitler's. <laughs> But that's sort of the comical aspect of this, that the uh, the investigation of the site of the fear bunker was botched from the beginning by the Soviets. And uh, because, as I said, they were ending up, they were ending a war. They weren't thinking about history or anything like that. Why did it take so, 70 uh, years uh, to do any forensic studies on the evidence that they did have? Uh because the Soviets were extremely uh, secretive and paranoid, and they did not allow anybody access to what they thought were their great trophies of the war, what they had hauled off. And uh, uh, in 1968, they allowed uh, some photographs to be released of some of this material that they had uh, in, a, in a Russian writer's book, but they wouldn't allow anybody to physically examine any of this uh, in, literally until 2009, when they allowed, as I mentioned, they allowed an American pathologist, uh, forensic expert, to examine the skull fragment. 
and their worst nightmare came true, the Americans said, it isn't Hitler's. You've been duped all along. And that that so upset them that they wouldn't let anybody else come back for another decade. Made them, it made them, look, like, that, made them look like idiots. So they don't like to be made to look like made idiots. Them look like, they made them look like idiots. And so they said, under no circumstances can an American expert be allowed any, to, to examine anything else. And finally, it was a French uh, expert uh, who had identified some famous bodies of historical figures like Henry IV and so on. Uh, a French expert who finally was allowed to examine what the Soviets said were the jawbones, the jawbone, Hitler's teeth, remains of Hitler's teeth. Uh, the, they had photographs of those teeth had been released earlier, and some dental experts had confirmed that they were Hitler's teeth based on reconstructed records and some uh, x-rays. But this was the first time they, in 2017, was the first time they allowed a Western independent Western expert to examine the jawbone. And it was that examination that led them to say definitively that that was, that was the jawbone of Adolf Hitler. And therefore, he did not escape to Argentina, but actually died, as the eyewitnesses had claimed all along, uh, in the Fuhrer bunker. So that was a, they did a DNA test on that jawbone and matched it to his DNA? Or was it, or was it dental records? They, they used uh, dental records, and they did do some DNA analysis uh, that definitively uh, proved that it was Hitler's jawbone. What, they, what people don't realize, Hitler had extremely bad teeth. And also, like 20th assassination attempt, German doctors had taken the first x-rays of Hitler's skull, and they, those survived. So using the x-rays of Hitler's skull... Um, as part of that, they were able to definitively prove that it was his job bone. Uh, one of the interesting tests they tried to do is there was some tartar on the teeth that they were able to examine, uh, the French pathologist. They wanted to find out if Hitler had swallowed poison as well, because that was one of the, one of the uh, uh, disputed points, is how Hitler actually died. So it looks like Hitler shot himself with his Walther pistol uh, in his right temple, as many of the eyewitnesses said he had done. One of the most interesting parts of your book was the number of attempts that were made on Hitler's life and how close some of those attempts actually came. I had, I had heard, a lot of people uh, have heard of Operation Valkyrie and the attempt. Uh, actually, Hitler had started that, uh, that idea as a shadow government, did he not? That was one of the most interesting parts of the story for me. The fact that uh, there were more than 40 attempts on Hitler's life, uh, and Hitler, as they said, had the luck of the devil. He had a tendency of breaking away from his schedule and not staying in one spot very long, and that saved him on, on more than one occasion. Uh, the, the, the attempt by a guy named uh, Georg Essler uh, came the closest uh, Stauffenberg, and that was in 1939, uh, when they had a bomb uh, placed in a Munich uh, brew, uh, uh, beer hall, uh, where they the Nazis reenacted every year. They had a ritualistic uh, reenactment of Hitler's attempted beer hall putsch, and um, uh, this guy came very, very close to blowing Hitler to bits. Missed him by, by 13. Bomb in the he missed him by 13 minutes. Did he not? And that yes, that bomb Hitler took out the entire building. 
yeah, it would have killed him for sure and on all the other top Nazis that were there. Um, and from that time on, uh, Hitler spent uh, most of his time in a, in a fortified bunker, the Wolf's Lair, uh, because they knew there were people out to kill him, and they were right. We'll return to our interview with Robert Hutchinson right after this sponsor message. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And now, back to our interview. There was a conspiracy in the German army to kill Hitler, and uh, they they weren't able to to advance it very far. And what happened was, they realized that they couldn't just kill Hitler. That the, the Nazis had so permeated every aspect of German life, and there were so many other people who could stand in a sense of figurehead. Not really. He, he was more than a figurehead, but there were a lot of people running the country besides Hitler. So if they were going to successfully stop the Nazis, they had to completely shut down the entire Nazi organization. It was going to be very, very difficult. So they had hit upon an ingenious plan to take advantage of an existing plan called Operation Valkyrie. And the purpose of Operation Valkyrie established an alternative government if there was a coup attempt against Hitler, an uprising by, by uh, foreign workers and so on in Germany, and to use the reserve army, which they had a backup kind of reserve army, to take over the government until Hitler could be restored or whatever. So the plotters decided what they needed to do was when they assassinated Hitler, they had to pin the crime on other top Nazis and claimed that there had been a coup by disloyal Nazis within the party to eliminate Hitler and take control themselves. In other words, they were going to use their own plan against them and then round up all the top Nazis, be falsely claimed to have been in on the coup when it was actually they themselves that had done it. And that would allow them to take control of Germany and all, all, all of Germany by, by arresting virtually all the top officers of the Nazi party at once, all across, all across Germany and even into Paris and Prague and other places. It was an extremely ambitious plan. And had they had enough time to flesh out all the details and make sure they had everybody on their side, it could have worked. The problem was not everybody was on board. Stauffenberg was uh, the guy that was... He was the second in command of the reserve army, and he was one of the key conspirators. But his superior officer, uh, a, a general, was not on board. He was one of, one of the many Frum. of these generals. Was that Frum? Took away. Yeah, from 
one of these many, many generals who said, well, I'll support you if it succeeds. Uh, and so he wasn't committed to the cause. And as a result, uh, the thing fell apart very quickly as soon as it was discovered that Hitler had survived the blast, the attempted to bomb him. That was an amazing uh, story. And, uh, you delivered yes. that story extremely well with Stauffenberg. And I can, I can see the picture. He was standing outside of the, of, that, uh, of the barracks in which they were having their meeting. He had delivered that briefcase with the bomb. The other right. officer, his, his closest associate, had, was, was there, had put the briefcase under the table. Stauffenberg hears it go off. And because of the size and sound of the blast, he thought there's no way that Hitler or anybody else in that room could have survived it. So he acts from that moment on. He even sees a body being carried out with, with Hitler's jacket over it, assumes that's Hitler's dead body. And from that right. moment, it, it was very tense the way you wrote it, because from that moment, he puts this whole plan in process, hooks up hundreds of people, uh, and lets them and tells them that Hitler's dead, and this thing's going forward. And that yes, and well, when and now it, Hitler survives it. He even showed his trousers, which which had been torn to shreds uh, by, the, by the blast of this bomb. Yes. Yet Hitler was barely scratched. You said that you, the luck of the devil. Yes. You're right, but unfortunately, because with continuing with his plans, then all these people who were involved in this became known to Hitler. Yes, and actually it was worse than that because uh, Stauffenberg assumed everybody had been killed. And so he gets he goes to the airfield. This is at the Wolf's Lair in East Prussia, now Poland, where Hitler had his top secret military headquarters, his advanced headquarters. And Stauffenberg assumed at that point that the general uh, uh, Feigebel was, was going to inform everybody to put Operation Valkyrie into, into operation. But... This guy had seen that Hitler actually survived, and so he communicated this to the to the headquarter, operational headquarters, the people who are supposed to put Operation Valkyrie into operation in Berlin. And because they had had a false alarm about a week earlier, they they didn't want to do anything until they were sure that Hitler was dead, and there was some doubt now in their mind. So they did nothing, while Stauffenberg flew back from Poland to Berlin, he was assuming that everything was, was for three hours, the, the, the coup was in full operation, that the uh, military, that the uh, government quarter of Berlin would be surrounded by troops, that all the top leaders would be uh, arrested, that the communications, the radio uh, stations would be taken over, that all the parts of the plan would be put into operation. So when he lands in Berlin around four o'clock in the afternoon, expecting the coup to be three quarters of the way going on. He calls his office and discovers no one's done anything yet. They've been waiting to hear from him. So that's actually why it failed, is they lost three or four precious hours when nobody did anything and they waited till stuff and, and things really didn't get into gear until Stauffenberg shows up at the military headquarters of the reserve army uh, which I visited, by the way, in Berlin. It's it's still kept pretty much exactly the way it was, uh, the Nazi head, uh, military headquarters. He he arrives and basically he has to kick off the coup himself. And by that time, everybody knew that Hitler had survived. They were getting reports uh, from himself, General Fromm, his superior officer had talked 
the people at the at the Wolf's Lair who told him, no, no, Hitler's fine. So Stauffenberg was reduced to having to bluff and simply say, no, no, Hitler was blown to bits. So they're lying and try and gin up the coup all by himself over the next three or four hours. And it was remarkable how far they got, but it was doomed from the start because Hitler was not killed. So it, it is a very interesting story that people don't appreciate, I think, uh, and it's it's well worth retelling. What did you find during your visit to Berlin? What did you dig up, and did you find any surprises that you never expected you would find? Um, what, what really, uh, yes and no. I mean, yes, I found a lot of surprises for me. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Germany, so I, I was kind of knew what to expect, but I when I when I went to the prison uh, where they executed uh, Stauffenberg and all those people, uh, what surprised me was that it's a working prison, and it looks <laughs> scarily like it must have looked back then. It's got these big brick walls, I mean, towering large brick walls with barbed wire on top, and the shed where they hung all the uh, conspirators who tried to... They said they, they hung them with piano wire. That's probably not true. They probably just used thin, uh, not rope, but thin twine uh, uh, to kill all the, the, to execute the prisoners. But that's probably the grimmest thing, is it just seems so real. It's just uh, pretty much exactly the way it was back then. You can see photographs, and when you go there, uh, Plotensy Prison, when you go there to the actual shed where they executed uh, a lot of the plotters, Stauffenberg himself was just shot outside at midnight, outside the... Um, uh, the military headquarters there in the courtyard. But all the other people that were involved were rounded up and then put through a show trial uh, at the so-called People's Court and then just taken out that same day and, and ex executed at this, uh, at this shed on this prison grounds. And that was very unsettling to me, seeing that. And the other thing that really surprised me was going to the villa uh, where they planted, planned, or they where they announced the final solution. Uh, it's in a beautiful little suburb of uh, of Berlin, along a lake. This is beautiful old neoclassical building, and oh so civilized. And that's where they uh, uh, where they uh, told top Nazi leaders uh, what they were actually planning to do, not just planning to do, what they were in the process of doing, which to systematically annihilate uh, 11 to 12 million Jews uh, in all of Europe. Um, that was unsettling because the contrast between this very nice lakeside villa and this uh, probably the most evil act ever perpetrated by human beings uh, in this, in this uh, place. It too is exactly the way it was uh, back 70 years ago. They've kept it almost identical. So a lot of the buildings are like that. They're very, very, they've kept a lot of the buildings the same, uh, maybe as historical monuments or, or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's a kind of chilling because you can see all that. That whole time was a chilling time. Uh, when you look at the figures that Hitler's regime was responsible for the death of over 17 million people, from what I read in your book, I believe it was 7 million Jews dead Six million Russians dead, five million Poles yes. dead, all as a result of of Hitler, and then right behind him, Stalin. Yes, that that uh, the, the numbers boggle the mind, and people debate 
those to this day. That's not counting the soldiers, of course, who died. Uh, that's not counting civilians who died from famine, uh, the displaced people, and so on. Those those numbers you just cited are actual cold-blooded murder. Uh, those are the people they just simply shot or gassed. Uh, that's not counting all the other casualties. Uh, World War II ended up killing between people quibble about the numbers 80 to 100 million people. Uh, we've never seen death on that scale uh, ever before uh, in history. And, and it all came to an end only when one man was finally killed and no one could kill him. And he finally ended up killing himself. And literally when he was dead, it stopped. Uh, and uh, that's that's the the horrible tooth of the story. It is, stopped on the German end, but it didn't stop on the Russian end. No, it didn't stop on the Russian end. That's absolutely correct. Uh, Hitler and Stalin uh, compete with each other as who is the greatest mass murderer in history. Um, uh, I don't I don't even or and with Mao. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. have a, a new ter term for that deicide, I believe they call it. Yes. Part of the lesson of this book was, you know, just how one man could set into motion. Uh, and, and I wasn't as familiar with that history until I really went back and studied it, how so much of what happened was the result of one person's energy and evil plans. I mean, he, Hitler told the world what he was going to do. I happened upon a review of Mein Kampf that was written in 1932 in uh, The Atlantic, of all places. And this guy actually took the time to read the book, and he said he said exactly, world war a world war is coming, and it's going to be horrific, and if this guy does what he says he's going to do, it's going to be one of the greatest catastrophes to happen to mankind. And nobody listened, you know, um, because at that time people were scared to death of the Russians and of communism, and they knew what the Russians were doing. And so Hitler at, in the early 30s didn't seem so bad to a lot of people, including a lot of Americans. A lot of Americans thought, oh, Hitler's not a good guy, but, you know, he's not as bad as the Russians. And so it's kind of like the, you know, which gang do you, <laughs> you've got two bloodthirsty gangs. Uh, which gang, you know, do you want to win? Uh, sometimes both are bad. And that's actually ended up why, uh, how everything turned out the way it did. Many conspiracy theorists are still holding on to the possibility that it was Hitler's double that died in that bunker. And from what you say, the DNA says otherwise. What actually is the path that the actual jawbone of Hitler took from the time that the two personal guards burned the bodies of both Hitler and Eva Braun? What path did Hitler's corpse take from that point on? One of the reasons the conspiracy theories survive is there's enough holes in the chain of evidence. As I said, the Russians, uh, first of all, were extremely tight-lipped. They didn't say anything. Uh, they lied on purpose. They deliberately, uh, Stalin himself told uh, top leaders the, of the West that he believed Hitler escaped. Uh, even General Eisenhower briefly believed Hitler might have escaped. Uh, I, not for very long, but but for a while, it looked like he might have believed that. So So it wasn't entirely crazy. And as you said, the chain of command or the, or the chain of evidence of Hitler's body is a very murky. Uh, what happened was, is a, a couple of days after 
the uh, the Russians arrived with the women went down in the bunker looking for the braziers of um, Eva Braun. Uh, they did start looking for his body. That was the top Russian forensic team, right? Yeah, it was the top Russian forensic team. They did eventually start looking for his body, and they found somebody that kind of was a lookalike. It might have been one of his body doubles with a bullet hole right in between his eyes. And at first, the Russians said, oh, we found him. But then they got enough ex-Nazi or Nazis and a couple of Soviet um, military attaches who had served in Germany that knew Hitler personally. And they said, that's not the guy. So then they started digging up. The problem is there were 147 corpses they found in the immediate vicinity of the Fuhrer bunker. Now, people were getting killed right and left. It was war. It was the end of the war. There were a lot of bodies around. But somebody, a, a, a Russian soldier, had dug up a couple of bodies uh, that turned out to be actually Hitler's corpse uh, in, a, in a crater. And when they finally realized that the guy they thought was Hitler, the, the lookalike that had been shot between the eyes, wasn't him, they went back to that those bodies and they dug them up and they took them to a suburb of Berlin and performed an autopsy um, and determined that they had the bodies of Hitler and Eva Braun uh, based on dental records. Uh, they went out and they actually were able to find Hitler's dentist and the dental technician uh, who, um, who made his bridge work and so on. And on that basis, they were able to say that these remains were the remains of Hitler. Uh, and they, they did have his jawbone literally in a box and and this one soviet intelligence officer uh 60 years later recounted ha carrying this around berlin uh, looking for this uh, dental dental expert who could identify it uh but then they took those remains for a year or two uh and then and took them to a german town called madeburg where the the soviets had a a safe house or a, a spy center and there was a uh, car uh, what do you call a motor pool area where they worked on cars and uh, like many of these they had a hole in the ground so the mechanics could work on cars and they thought that was a great spot so they put the remains of hitler eva braun and the entire goebbels family there covered it up buried it and covered it up with uh, asphalt and it stayed there for 25 years and then it was a top secret that that's where hitler was buried for 25 years and it wasn't until 1970 uh, that the Russians had agreed to turn Germany back, East Germany back to the Germans. And they decided that it was too risky to keep this secret uh, that, that somebody would find out and that this would become a shrine to Hitler. And so they ordered some intelligence officers to re-exhume the bodies again. And this is after 25 years, so there wasn't a lot left. And the, and the various bodies were mixed together and except for the jawbone, which had been kept separate, and the and the fragment of the skull, which had been kept separate, and then they took those out in in a forest and they uh, burned them again until there was nothing but dust left, and then they scattered them in a river, a nearby river, uh, and a Russian military officer describes final when he tossed the his knapsack full of Hitler's remains into this river. So that occurred in 1970. So that's really all we know about the chain of chain of events. And so that, you know, that you could find any decent conspiracy theorist could poke holes on that all oh, day yeah. long. So there's there's no 
uh, it's totally understandable how people could um, uh, not believe this and come up with these crazy uh, theories, well, except there, for the fact- There were hundreds of reports yeah, that he had been seen in right. South there America. Were, there were a lot of reports that he'd been seen all over the world. When you actually go online, and anybody can do this, you can go online and there are 742 pages of formerly top secret FBI files. And it's a big, long PDF and you can download them yourself and you can read them. And you find out that 80% of the stuff was just crazy. Yeah. It was people mm -hmm. saying, I saw Adolf Hitler. He was working at the, the lunch counter at Woolworths in Brooklyn. So that's like 80% of the material. And, but mixed in with that are some more serious uh, uh, sightings that the FBI did take seriously and they investigated and they determined there was really no worth to them. But they continue to investigate them up until the 1950s. Well, those same so conspiracy, conspiracy, those same conspiracy theorists would tell you they were saying the same thing about a lot of the top German echelon officers that they said were dead, who actually did make it to South America, to Argentina, to Brazil, and survived. Exactly. And, and were later found, or not. Yes. Adolf Eichmann in 1960, when they found Adolf Eichmann, and they knew that uh, Dr. Mengele, Dr. Mengele was never caught. I mean, they knew he was operating. He enjoyed his life surfing in Paraguay uh, until the end of his days. I think he finally drowned in a surfing accident in Paraguay or off the coast of Brazil somewhere. He was never caught. So... Yes. I mean, that's the that's the that's kind of the fun of the story is there's there's plenty of holes you can use. But when you I've read all of the Hitler conspiracy books and what they all do. And I say this in my book is say the book is 250 pages long. Two hundred and thirty of those pages are interesting background chapters on Nazi gold, about the German colony in Argentina, about Nazi submarines that trans went across the Atlantic about the subway system in Berlin. But when it comes time to the, what's the actual evidence that Hitler was actually in an Argentina, there isn't any. It ends up being completely hearsay. It's a, a guy told another guy that he had once helped Hitler someplace and he wrote his memoirs, but those memoirs were lost. But this guy had read them once in his youth, but he and he now can recall what was said. There's there's no evidence at all. So they all spin the same story, and they all spend a lot of time investigating the uh, some of the conditions that made it possible that he escaped. But when it, when you ask actually ask them, what's your actual evidence that Hitler up escaped with Eva Braun, and they brought their daughter Ursula with them, and then they had another daughter in Argentina. And and whatever happened to Ava Braun, they have no answer. They have no evidence. So uh, on the other hand, there's overwhelming eyewitness testimony about all the people who survived in the bunker about what happened. And they stuck to their story for, for 40, 50, 60 years. Uh, and we also have now forensic evidence in the form of this jawbone that was finally definitively uh, identified as Hitler's. So against the conspiracy theories, uh, the overwhelming uh, testimony and historical records and uh, physical evidence shows that Hitler did, in fact, die in Berlin, just as people had thought, by suicide at the end of the war. All the holes in the story, all the facts that the, there's a lot of minor inconsistencies among the eyewitness, what the eyewitnesses say, all the uh, fact that their planes were able to fly out of uh, 
out of Berlin right at the last moment. That's one thing they make a lot of uh, hay out of is the fact that there were planes that were able to get off the ground as late as, I believe, April 28th. So one or two days before, they will use the big boulevards there in the Tiergarten in central Berlin and fly out dodging Soviet anti-aircraft guns and so on. Uh, those stories are true, but they still don't add up to Hitler being in Argentina. For the sake of history, Eisenhower gave the Russians seven weeks in Berlin when Berlin yes. fell. What happened during those seven weeks? And were any of the Russians ever tried for war crimes? Uh, no, I don't believe they were. The, um, uh, the, the al As you know, the Western allies, uh, the generals like General Patton were very upset about this. They wanted to go into Berlin. Uh, but they, the politicians had cut a deal to let the Russians uh, have Berlin in effect. And the Germans were sure they were going to rape and pillage. And, and that's exactly what they did. The, the Germans got precisely their worst fears. There were reports of entire families committing suicide, men shooting their wives and children, women killing themselves, women cutting their faces with razor blades so they wouldn't be raped by Soviet soldiers. Uh, I mean, the reports are that up to two million German women were raped. Um, so uh, th they got the vengeance of the Soviet military. And the, the Russians, in their defense, had lost 10 million men fighting Hitler. And they were bent on revenge. They were going to destroy Berlin block by block. And that's what they did. And basically, the Western allies, the Western armies, let them do it. They stood outside and uh, Eisenhower's goal, as I said in my book, was to wrap up the war with as little loss of life to his men as he as possible. So at this point, people were tired of fighting. And there was some worry that the uh, German army could escape to the south in the, in the, in the uh, Alps and kind of have a last ditch fight there and the redoubt of the uh, of the Alps. So Eisenhower concentrated on cutting that off, making sure that the remnants of the German army couldn't escape south to the to the Alps. And he let he let Stalin have Berlin. And um, and that's pretty much what they did is they systematically set out destroying the city. All of the uh, and again, the fear bunker was part of that where and the crime investigators would have liked them to have preserved some of it. But that wasn't was on their mind. They were bent on vengeance. I know this is outside of your purview, but uh, have you done any personal research on on the monuments men, on the men who on the on the division that was sent in there to try and save the art that had been stolen? Uh, only only in the movie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, right. I, fair yeah, enough. There, there's there's books on that. When I was in Berlin, uh, that's a big story. Yeah, that's uh, there's lots of uh, books, not just the U.S. one, but there's German accounts of that as well, because the whole looting of of uh, of the art and uh, of Europe is part of that story. And it feeds into the conspiracy theorists to the extent that um, one of the true things is the Nazis looted a lot of gold and they had financial resources to help people escape. Uh, the degree to which there was an organized underground railroad, if you will, that's not the right word, but an organized uh, Odessa-like organization that was systematically ferrying SS men out of Germany. Uh, that has been disputed in recent years. 
Uh, Frederick Forsyth had a famous novel called The Odessa File that posited that, that there was this uh, formal organization that was getting Nazis out. Um, now, most historians no longer believe that it was a formal organization as such that did that, but there were certainly contacts and so on, and Nazis were able to escape, and they did have the financial resources to do so. So that, again, feeds the Hitler conspiracy theory that Hitler certainly had the money to pull it off. He had uh, billions of dollars in gold and, and other assets that he could have accessed. So uh, I don't, as, as crazy as the conspiracy theories, theorists are about the fact that they build their case on very little actual evidence, uh, there's enough intri intriguing parts of the story that you can see how people could, could, could believe some of it. Because, um, as I said, well, there were planes landing in Berlin right at the last minute, and they, there were submarines crossing the Atlantic, and there was billions of dollars in gold that was secreted out of Germany, and uh, all of that. So there's, uh, if you want to tell a conspiracy story, this is a good a good one to do. It's just that there is when it, at the at the end of the day, there's no evidence that Hitler was actually ever in Argentina. Who has that skull uh, now? Um, there's only here. The, the Russians do. Who they has that? Do. The Russians have the skull, and the jawbone. Yes, and the and the jawbone, uh, and they keep it. They keep it in an old floppy disk box because it had a plastic lid, like those old floppy disk. When the when the forensic investigators come to see this stuff, they they actually can't believe it. And somebody who's been to Russia, myself, I've been to Saint Petersburg and been in the Hermitage, and you you see these priceless works of art in the Hermitage and there's open windows and direct sunlight coming in and you can see the dust on top of them. You know, you can literally run your finger over the dust on top of like these Monet's or whatever. And, and you just can't even believe kind of the way they, the haphazard way they keep this stuff. So when the, when the forensic investigators come to the KGB archives, they're finally let in and they they bring out Hitler's skull. They find out it's kept, you know, with tissue paper in a old, five and three quarter inch floppy disk box because it had a plastic lid and a little key, a little lock. And the Russians like that. <laughs> and they've kept that there ever since. It's still in this little floppy disk box. Um, yeah, so they do still have the skull fragment. Well, let me just say that as far as the segment goes, after the American team said it was not Hitler's, the Russians denounced that and said it most certainly was. And it was, uh, you know, a political politics invading science and so on just to make them look bad uh and there has been some uh discussion about whether it could still be hitler's skull or not uh because the uh, french the french expert who examined it said some of the conclusions of the american expert were not uh definitive and uh like for example the sutures of the skulls as you age they get wider apart and and that's why this guy, the original American, had said that it couldn't be an older man's. But the French guy had said it, that's not necessarily true. So there's still discussion about that skull fragment. Uh, but that people don't realize that skull fragment was found a year and a half later after uh, in 1946 when they went back to the original scene and dug up again. And then they found another piece. So. Again, the chain of evidence is pretty sloppy. Wow. Uh, but yeah, yeah, still kind of leaves room for doubt.
Uh, it does leave room for doubt. There's lots of is room there, are, for doubt. Is there anything that you haven't had a chance to say that you'd like to work? Um, this is the definitive. What we were trying to do with this What Really Happens series, and this is a series of books published by Regnery, is to look at controversial events in history and try and sort out the BS from from what we actually know, what we can actually establish with a reasonable degree of certitude. You know, there's no certitude in history, scientific certitude, but you can have a reasonable degree of certitude. And so this book, I think, is one of the few times when you can actually say we have, this has been a controversial issue that's gone on for 75 years, and now we can definitively say what really happened. And we now know what really happened to in the death of Hitler. And if you're interested in World War II, and if you're interested in how these conspiracy theories get started and in fake history and how you shouldn't always believe what you read in the newspapers and so on, uh, this is the kind of this is the book for you. I, I try to make it entertaining and retell the story and also give a definitive answer about what really happened. And that's why people should read this book. Where can people find your book and how can people get in touch with you? Uh, they can find this book on Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble and any place books are sold. It's widely distributed. They can also go to regnery.com where they can find out other links. Uh, it's published by Regnery. Uh, they can write me an email at Robert Hutchinson author at gmail.com. I answer every email I get. Um, and um, uh, yeah, so so it's it's uh, I hope people read it and I hope they find it interesting. Bob Hutchison, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And this is a fantastic story. I'm sure that our listeners are going to want to pick it up. It's a great book, What Really Happened, The Death of Hitler. What's your next book coming out? I'm the editor of the What Really Happened series. And we have a whole bunch of new titles that we're preparing. to. I don't want to commit in advance what they are, but we're going to have a whole series of books where we go back to key events in history and sort out truth from fiction and tell people what really happened. Uh, I, the, the one that I'd like to do, but it's going to have to wait for a while, is, of course, the Kennedy assassination. But uh, things like that, where we tr the, the sinking of the Titanic, uh, the Wright brothers, all these kind of uh, events that people don't really know what happened, and we want to tell them in an entertaining, short way that they can know what actually happened. Uh, or what we can establish happened. And that's that's what I'm working on now is this this series. Well, you've been a good interview. I really did enjoy the book. Thank you. I, Thank you. I love working with Reginary. They had the greatest authors in the world. You guys are you guys are super. They do have great authors, I've got to say. I read <laughs> I buy their books. I actually go and onto Amazon and buy them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could get free copies, but I much John. Thank Talk you. To you later. Great talking All to right. you. Bye. Bye bye.
Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.